Welcome to On Target, the podcast helping software sales leaders drive more pipeline and close transformational deals. I'm your host, Alex Elaine. Let's get into it. If they don't take a moment for themselves, they won't have a moment for anyone else. And time and time again in my career, I've seen when people try to overtrain, whether it was in sport or they try to overdo it when it comes to business, ultimately the results will always dwindle in the end. There is no substitute for taking a bit of self-care and self-time for yourself. So look, everyone, official welcome to this event. I'm really, really excited and honored to be amongst some fantastic company in Diana and Lou, who will both introduce themselves shortly. But really, this session is all about burnout. It's something that many of us have experienced as the poll just shows. And we really want to make sure through this event, we get to talk about the topic, but also that you get some tactical advice, some tactical tips that you can take into your day to day to put you in a position where you can be more effective in the field and hopefully mitigate any form of burnout while also mastering your calendar as we move forward. And so some quick housekeeping before we get into it. As you can tell, the session is going to be recorded. We ask that everyone holds themselves on mute throughout the, the majority of the session. And the chat section, you can use and leverage, keep an eye on it. We'll make sure that the Slido is posting there. And then we're going to do a Q&A at the end. So we'll have about 30 minutes of myself talking with the two wonderful guests that we got here. And then we'll have about 15 minutes for open Q&A. So as we go through, please submit your questions through the Slido and we'll leave 15 minutes to get to them at the end. Now, on that note, let's do some intros so that you know who's in the room right now. So, of course, Alex Elaine, I lead SMB sales at Braze, along with being the host and founder of On Target. So, I'll be looking after you throughout this event. And I will pass on next to Lou. Thanks, Alex. Um, name's Lewis Kwachi. I am the UK sales lead. Actually, I've changed now. I'm now the EMEA sales lead for a company called Reward Gateway. I look after new business existing business and also client success. So a pretty big role. So if anyone knows about burnout, it's probably going to be myself, but it's good to see you all down today. Thanks a lot, Lou, and congrats on the recent promotion. Got to put that out there. Diana. <laughs> Thanks, Alex. My name is Diana Dalsgaard Johansson. I am the Director of Account Management at Brace. Look after existing customers and I've been doing sales and SaaS uh, sales roles for the last 15 plus years have, like Lou, been aware of many hats before, and I continue to be aware of many hats as well. And as you can imagine, that is a full hands-on role. So very, very familiar with the topic that we are discussing today, and it's a topic close to my heart. Wonderful. Thanks so much, Diana. So I did touch on the agenda already, but just for a quick recap. So we're going to get straight into the panel discussion now, then we'll dive into Q&A. And we will have some fun as we do it. So I'm coming off the screen share and we'll kick this off by getting straight into some questions. So I'm going to start with you, Diana. I'd, I'd love if you could just share some personal strategies, routines that you've been able to implement in your own role to help you to prevent or manage burnout throughout your software sales career. And if you could combine a bit of your own story uh, in that, that would be fantastic too. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for the opportunity, Alex. First of all, as I mentioned, this is a topic that's really close to my heart. I wish I could tell you there is a universal recipe for managing burnouts or the risk of being burnt out. 
the reality is that, you know, throughout the years, uh, through your own personal experience, you will put together a tool set that will work for you. Having said that, I think one of the things that is really close to me is a quote that comes to mind whenever I go into any day, really. You know, uh, I think the quote reads, the most courageous decision that you can make each day is to be in a good mood. And the reason I say I like this quote is because it sets pretty much the intent on how you're approaching every day and the impact of that and whatever you do from that moment on is deriving from this approach, which is actively seek ways in which you can be in a good mood and surround yourself with people that are likely to keep that up because we live in an increasingly negative world. Um, So going back to your question around things in which you can manage your day-to-day, you need to be aware. And it starts with an awareness of the impact that media can have on you, social media included, people around you and their energy. And having that intent to actively carve out time for you to seek things to be happy about is really important. So going back to -to day-to-day strategy, I think, you know, whoever you speak with will have their own recipe. I personally found, you know, especially at times where you kind of sit in in sales roles, we tend to manage a lot of high pressure. There's a combination of having to hit targets. There's a combination of dealing with negative feedback, dealing with a lot, a lot of external pressure is prioritizing your well-being and having a, let's say, set time in the diary for which you dedicate to things that make you happy. And that could be the shape of, you know, sport. Sport is very important. Reading, dedicating time to your hobbies and actively having that as a time where, you know, this is my me time. This is where I recharge my batteries. This is where I'm getting ready to face the day. And there's lots of things that, but much more to unpack. Appreciate that, Diana. Very, very helpful in that. I, I noticed when you mentioned the word pressure, I saw a bit of an acknowledgement from Lou. So I've got to switch gears. Now, Lou, you wear many hats. You have a lot going on day to day. So the one thing we know we can't really escape is the fact that there's inherent pressure or perceived stress that comes Mm -hmm. along with being in a high paced environment like being within SAS. So talk to us about, you know, how you go about handling that pressure, how you go about managing that on a day to day basis. No, that's um, that's a good segue. So for people's reference, I'll give you a bit more about my history. If any of you have listened to my podcast, I did the Valix, we delved into it a little bit deeper, but I used to do track and field. Tough um, tough sport to do. You don't get paid a lot of money, but you have to train really hard. But it's always you versus someone else. It's always you versus another seven or eight lanes. So my entire life before I even got into SAS sales was involved in high pressure environments, racing to be the best, competing, all these wonderful things. And when you translate that to the world of SAS sales, then you're pretty much in a very similar boat. You've been pushed to the edge. You're always asked to do something more. You're always having to learn something more. And it just layers and layers and layers on top. Now, well-being and looking after yourself is always paramount. It's number one. One thing I say to my teams, and you know, I've got 70 or so people that work within my squads and directors and all sorts of people. If they don't take a moment for themselves, they won't have a moment for anyone else. And time and time again in my career, I've seen when people try to overtrain, whether it was in sport or they try to overdo it when it comes to business, ultimately the results will always dwindle in the end. There is no substitute for taking a bit of self-care and self time for yourself. So that's one thing I've really, really kind of seen and tried to understand as the years go on. Very naturally, however, the pressure's not going anywhere. 
the target's not going anywhere. The numbers are still going to be there. So one thing that's really important, and you know, we'll touch up on it a little bit later, burnout is always worse when you work for an organization or you have a boss that probably doesn't understand. And I'm never going to sit here and tell people, leave your job, leave your company, and all the rest of it. But ultimately, this is your life and this is your career. So you need to make really intelligent decisions of where you put yourself and how you're actually going about it. Because one thing I've noticed when I've worked for leaders who don't prioritize their own well-being, who are sending Slack messages at 1 a.m., 3 a.m., 4 a.m., and then expecting me to get back, it doesn't set the right precedent. It doesn't. And then I also then start to follow in that lead and I don't look after myself. So realistically, understanding that and making sure that your business, your leaders have a culture of looking after each other, have a culture of minimizing burnout and stress, that will actually mitigate a whole bunch of things down the line. You won't actually, you won't find yourself being burnt out more times than not if your organization and people around you are quite supportive of that journey. So that's one of it, a little bit of a nugget I wanted to throw out there for lots of people that are kind of experiencing a bit of burnout or a bit tired at the moment. It's a very helpful point in there, Lou. There's one thing I want to double tap on with you in this, because when I think about a lot of rep sellers, leaders who often find themselves experiencing stress or some form of burnout, quite often it's because they're having a challenging time, right? Tough quarter, you're behind plan, you're behind your number. And we can't get away from the fact that we are in a game where you got to hit numbers, right? And so in that type of scenario where someone's back is against the wall, everything's going against them. How do they maintain everything you just described in that situation? Yeah, you know, I'm not going to do a sporting analogy. Actually, I might touch on a little bit more of a sporting analogy. There's a saying, especially when you're in like a 200 meter race or 100 meter race, if you're running and you run a race 100 times and you've been successful in that, changing your technique mid-race or changing your cadence or the way you're doing something actually will probably take you way more out of sync. It'll put you in a horrible place. And one thing we know about pressure and panic and anxiety, it makes you act in a particular way that's probably not helpful for the end result you want to do. So yes, you're right. We do get our backs against the wall. But if you're a successful operator and you know what you're doing, one of the most impactful things you can do actually is kind of remain on course. Keep on remaining and doing the consistent activities that have got you where you need to be in the first place. What we often forget with sales sometimes is we when we try to change direction or we try to change pace, we think we're doing something that's going to have an immediate impact. More times than not, the activity you're doing today is probably going to bear its fruits in the next three, six or so months, okay? So if you're going through a difficult stage, you're going through a difficult stage, acknowledge that. And if you've got a good leader and a good company around you, you communicate that and communicate it effectively. You know what? Hey, I'm going through a bit of a rough patch, but these are all the consistent and great activities I'm going to continue to do to get me where I need to be. And as a leader and having people that have underperformed and overperformed in their roles and everyone's gone up and down, none of us have ever had a completely clean run. The people that communicate clearly that this is a difficult patch, but this is what I'm doing. This is how I'm going to continue to plan. This is how I'm going to continue to strategize. They're in a much more even kill. And it's really, really helpful, actually, because you'll get yourself through those difficult periods because we always do get out in the end, but you've remained consistent and true to who you are as a sales professional, an AM professional, a success professional. You remain true. And then, you know, you're still on that journey, which is always great. Sometimes, again, you do get your back against the wall and some organizations, especially stuff, people that are really early in their funding rounds, the reality is the reality. Sometimes you're just not going to make it out of that. And that happens. And that's just reality of life sometimes. But hopefully, again, you find yourself in a position in a great organization where you're able to communicate clearly, continue to do your actions, and hopefully 
you remain on the line, which is the most important thing for most people. I want to do a count on how many more sport analogies we get before the end of this loop. So on two so far, someone keep a tally there, but appreciate the response. I want to add some of my perspective in here and then Diana, I've got something for you. It's important to also remember that perspective is everything in life, at work and otherwise, right? And we always have a choice. A situation is just an event. If, if you've missed target, if you're behind your number, that's an event, it's an occasion. You now have a choice as to how you perceive that situation. Do you take it as an opportunity for lessons and learning or do you allow it to be the thing that, you know, pushes you backwards and sets you back? You've got to sometimes look at these things, put it in perspective, calibrate and say, I'm going to make the choice to take this as a lesson and find a way forward. And when you have that mentality, you really become unstoppable. So always just take a moment. Nothing is inherently bad. Use it as a lesson. Use it as an opportunity to take a step forward. Now off the back of that, Diana, over to you. My question for you is just really about the premise of being busy versus productive versus overworking, I guess, in a sense, because they're different things. And I often talk a lot about this separation factor between busy work and productive work. And then, as I say, some people end up just doing a little bit too much. So just share with us your perspective on the difference between those two things and any tactical ways you've been able to really maximize your productivity without overdoing it. Absolutely. And I think I want to start by going back to something that Lou was saying. I'll bring another sports analogy as well. So that's count three. I like Lou. I also had a background in sports, um, more so from leisure. So I practiced martial arts up until a couple of years ago when I had to stop. And I think the hardest realization for me is having to stop, having to learn to recover. If you're a high performer in whatever you do, I think what being, you know, in competitive martial arts has taught me is that first and foremost, you're fighting yourself. And that's going to be the natural reaction that most people have. And it takes a while for you to realize that. Now, as a high performer, knowing that, you know, when you're having a tough time, when everything seems to be a setback, the first step there is to take a step back, like you were saying before, and realize, actually, some stuff that I'm doing today, I absolutely need to get to do. From a prioritization perspective, if I'm thinking about proactively before I even start my day, things that are really going to move the needle, and working on an assumption of, you know, and again, this has been said many times, but I don't think many people practice that in a day-to-day -day scenario. Taking time to sort of triage the things that you absolutely need to get doing because they're urgent and important. Things that are urgent but not important. Things that are important but not urgent. And then things that are not urgent and not important. I found that to be very, very useful in my day-to-day -day because, as you can imagine, when you're dealing particularly with things like escalations, when you're dealing with a lot of communication, you know, we live in a world where we have 25 channels open, email, phones, WhatsApp, whatever messaging, internal messaging tool we have, is learning to constantly go through this mechanism of actually, I've got my list of things that I absolutely need to do that I've said during the day, and I'm going to take a moment as well at the end of the day to reevaluate everything that I've done and see, you know, in the grander scheme of things, I've actually achieved quite a lot versus how I set out in the day. And sort of going through that roster of not allowing other people's priorities to dictate your priority is what has proven to be successful in my case. So effective prioritization is a big message there. 
mastery of your calendar. Love that thematically. Makes me want to pivot to you, Lou. Again, with so many different conflicting priorities on a day-to-day basis, can you just talk to us about if we had unfiltered access to Lou's schedule, what does a typical week look like for you? And and how have you gone about mastering your calendar and mastering your time? Yeah, no, listen, I was, um, if you want me to screen share my calendar, we can all sort of vomit together if you like. No, but in all seriousness, there's two takeaways I'll give everyone right now, actually. It's what Diana was mentioning. One's called an action priority matrix, all right? If you're all on our computers, so you can jump on Google, have a quick scan of what that looks like, okay? With the action priority matrix, it's a way of finding your quick wins, major projects, um, things you need to fill in, some thankless tasks, because let's be honest, as much as we love to say we're all busy, busy at work and we've got loads of things going on, some things are really thankless tasks, okay? So bit of a takeaway here, action priority matrix, some wonderful reading on that. It's a great way of starting to prioritize what your day can look like. And then the next one is a pretty similar thing. It's called the Eisenhower decision matrix, okay? This is where you do something, you decide something, you either delegate it or delete it. I like deleting things, trust me. I need sometimes I just need to protect myself. And that is another thing you should just Google. And as a leader or as an individual contributor, choose a matrix, choose a framework, okay? You don't have to completely subscribe to them. But when you do manage your day, you try to manage your week, and I'll run you through my week in a little bit. These are really good frameworks to just help protect yourself and understand what you actually need to do. So for myself as a business director or someone that has to give reports and forecasts to the board, you know, previously in my organization, we just gone through a recent acquisition that's made us a publicly listed business as a unicorn, which is incredible. So people got paid and was really excited, but guess what? We're publicly owned now. So I've got new paymasters that want to know all the details about everything. So my day's even blown up even more. So when I think about what I have to do, I can't do everything I used to do. My team has gone from 13 people to 70 people. My organization's gone from a couple million to now hundreds of millions. So the game has completely changed. So these frameworks have really supported me. So Alex, I'll answer your question. Before I'll be able to be on the floor with my team all the time, listening to sales calls, jumping in emails, you know, potentially having a contract negotiation with a procurement contact, and then darting over and sitting down with the CEO to talk about what the forecast looks for the next two and a half years. It's not possible to do all that stuff anymore. So these frameworks have really helped and supported me look at my day-to-day activities and say, okay, Lou, you can no longer do that. Can you delegate that to one of your heads of sales? Lou, this is really important because this is actually going to take the direction of our entire business. You need to decide on this one. Lou, this is going to be about your team's reputation, how your team actually feels right now. You need to do that. Lou, you know, this is a client complaining about something, but this client doesn't even pay us a penny. Delete that. And this is the, all the important frameworks that I go, I take my the whole weekly schedule, what I'm supposed to do, I plug it into one of these two, remember action priority matrix or Eisenhower decision matrix, choose the one that works for you. And if, Alex, if I'm honest with you, that has saved my bacon over the last couple of years because I've just been able to really decide what's important to me and what's important for the organization I work for. I need to check out some of these matrixes, actually. I've heard of a few of them, not seen them all, but some really important advice there. I want to add a point and then die. I'm coming over to you. I'd love to hear more about your own week. Uh, Of course, I know a lot about it, but would love to have you share that with others. One thing that I've found to be incredibly helpful is to really tap into your own energy system. And what I mean by that is for, for most people, as the day and the week goes on, you find you have less energy, right? And so Monday morning might be bursting with energy, depending if you're a morning or an evening person. 
get the high value, high impact activities done early in the day and early in the week. Think about the things that are maybe a slightly lower priority and think about if you can either delegate those or have those pushed out to later in the week or later in the day. And when you combine the things that Lou's talking about, i.e. effective delegation, right, who can be helpful here, along with the premise of actually making sure that you've got your high impact activities early in the week and early in the day, you'll find that your energy is just better sustained throughout the week and better sustained over time. Because if you're trying to be everything to everyone throughout the day, that's a one-way ticket to burnout. It's too much. It's too many conflicting priorities. So you've got to figure out your energy system as well. Diana, let's peel back the curtains on your schedule. Tell us a bit about what that looks like through the lens of account management and how you've best managed your calendar as well. Yes, absolutely. So I think, you know, I'll tab in, first of all, one of the things that you were saying, and I think one of the realizations that collectively we need to come to, which is, again, the guilt factor. You shouldn't feel guilty for not being able to take everything on. And that's one of the first things that collectively we need to be aware of, because I think as high performers, a lot of the time people feel compelled to just take additional stuff on. And I think it starts with having that realization and starting to delegate or say no as appropriate. My week, in addition to being a manager team who have a very busy schedule of their own, you know, in between managing existing client relationships, escalations, doing effectively pretty much handling every single thing that you could think of from technical troubleshooting to looping in additional resources to questions about how do I go about doing this? And my priorities as such have to be dedicated to, on the one hand, revenue generating activities, on the other hand, the management and the well-being of my team and empowering them to be the best selves that it could potentially be. So that's what dictates my day. In addition to that, you know, there's a fair amount of strategy around planning for and growing and preventing a lot of the risks that are likely to happen. And in addition to my busy work life, I also have a full-on schedule and activities related to the fact you know, it's my personal life. I'm a parent. You know, a lot of my day-to-day schedule is also impacted by some other people's priorities and having to juggle all around that. And I also actively manage to, as I was mentioning before, carve out time for myself. So, you know, having a regular routine, a gym schedule, reading a lot, prioritizing your hobbies, all of that I have to put in my day-to-day. Absolutely. Now, Di, I want to stick with you for a second here. You know, we've got a number of people on the call and there may be someone listening right now that just really feels against it. You know, they feel they're either on the brink of burnout or they're already there or the stress or pressure is just getting to them. What's your message to that person right now? And and what's the best piece of advice that you could share with them? First thing is to share it. You're not alone. There's a lot of people who have at some point, even the most successful people experience that. And it's not going to be something that you will be able potentially to tackle on your own. You're going to need help. Reaching out, find somebody that you're comfortable talking about this with. And before you even get to the solution, recognize how you feel, recognize the impact it's having on you. That's the first step towards being able to put in place an action plan. It's tough. As I was mentioning before, we live in an increasingly negative world, and that's likely to have an impact on how you're feeling and how you're perceiving the world to be. The benefit of, you know, having been close to burnout myself a number of times in the past is 
you know, once you seek that help and once you actively uh, recognize that that is the situation, you very quickly pivot into a situation where, you know, you're addressing that, you're going to start feeling better. Yeah, wonderful. Great advice. Lou, I, w- I want to ask you the same question. You're talking to that person who's either on the brink or close to it. What, what do you say? Do you mind if I give a little bit more on that as well? Um, Take your time. So communication, Diana's bang on. You need to communicate, communicate effectively. All right. If you work for a good organization, they're going to want to see you out the other side and they're going to respect you and want you to be the best version of yourself. Never feel guilty. Dan has mentioned it already. Never feel guilty by your own time. We only got one life. We want to do it properly and we want to be really successful in this life. So if you need to take some time out to protect yourself, protect your well-being, then never, ever feel guilty about that. I do want to talk to any leaders or managers that are on the call potentially, because I think this is an important part. As individual contributors, of course, we need to manage what we can and look after our wellness. But in actual fact, if you're a leader or you're a manager, you have additional responsibility. And sometimes I think a lot of leaders try to um, forget that fact, actually. And that's sad because people are looking to you for guidance and support. So number one, if you're a leader, one thing I force my team to do is I make sure they book their annual leave. I 100% force them to do it. If I look at their um, our internal system and I see they've got a certain percentage of annual leave left, I will actually sit down and I'll say, hey, why have you got so many days of annual leave left? Go away. Go with your girlfriend, you're with your children, you know? Go with a mate, go with your housemate, go with the random guy down the street, do something, all right? But go and take some time off because that's number one. Number two as a leader as well, performance plans. A lot of people talk about performance plans as like this negative way of getting someone out of a business. And I understand the connotations behind them, but they're not actually supposed to be about that all the time. Sometimes a performance plan is de- designed to support you and train you and help you do something new. So as a leader, I actually use performance plans to help someone get themselves out of that rut by personal well-being, personal improvements, you know, and it's, it's important. So I had, a, I had an SDR that was really struggling a couple of years back. Great operator, wasn't hitting the numbers. The performance improvement plan was wholly designed around their well-being and things they needed to do. We ended up doing a gym session together a few times. And ultimately, you know what? That love and respect was replicated in their performance later. It was incredible. All right. And another one, another one, and this is important actually for a lot of leaders. Sometimes when people are burnt out, you need to talk to them actually, because I've had the scenario too where the job actually just wasn't right for the person. And it's a really hard thing to say sometimes. But One thing I'm really passionate about is that people, life is short, as I said, you want to make sure people are doing the right things and really enjoying themselves and having a good time. If it's a bit of a funk, it's a bit of a funk. But sometimes it actually just might be the job. It might just be the role that they're currently doing. And the responsibility of a leader is to have a real human-to-human conversation and ensure that that person is actually on the right path for them. And effective communication can really support them. Go and do something else amazing in the future. Or you might uncover a whole new range of information that will make the job actually easier and better for them, ultimately being better for you and your team and better for your company. So as an individual, communicate. As a leader, protect your people. So hopefully just that, that will just those two there. That was a, a mic drop answer and really important. So glad you shared that, Lou. I'm going to add one point and then we're going to pivot to questions. So if you haven't already, please go in the chat, go on the Slido, submit your question When I checked a moment ago, there was four. And then please upvote the questions that uh, you guys want answered first. And we'll go in order of the most voted questions. So please take a moment now, go and write your question. And uh, after my response, we'll submit. The other point I just want to add to this is the importance of having a routine. So I talk a lot about this premise of having a personal operating system and a professional operating system. And really, when I say personal operating system, this is really 
how do you look after yourself and, and optimize yourself so that you can sustain over time? I burnt out to the point of being hospitalized in 2017. I've never come close to being burnt out ever since. And a lot of it comes down to this, along with the the mindset aspect. And so there's really specific things you can do. I wake up, first thing I do is I meditate. Then I exercise. I don't go on my phone until those two things are done. Then I go on my phone and let the world in and start tackling all of the nuance that comes in. And then similar thing at night, I, I put on blue light blockers at eight o'clock, which made me look like a spaceman. I then meditate, I journal. And so I detox and that happens every night. It's having the discipline to do it day in, day out, regardless of how you feel. I even get a massage once a week, right? So it's all of these types of things. You'll be blown away by the difference that they can make. So just, just look after yourself, create a routine, create a personal operating system, and that will hopefully help you bring all of this together. Um, Diana and Lou, super grateful for all of the wisdom and insights so far. This has been jam-packed and incredibly valuable. We're now going to switch gears to the Q&A. So we've got a few questions here now. I'm going to go in order. So the first question is, it says, work, 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 then no results or no results just yet. But you know you're doing the daily tasks needed to become successful, yet no cream. How to cope? Lou or Diana, either of you want to jump in on that? I thought the person was going to start with a Rihanna song when I heard the work, work, work there. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? There's, there's a Gary Vee that's got the jab, jab. Yeah. Listen, unfortunately, sometimes things take work and they take a longer time than normal. There's always that saying around when you plant a seed for a tree, you know, you may not see it grow, but your children's children may see it happen. All right. Hopefully it doesn't take that long, but putting the groundwork and foundation work of successful building blocks, you will get where you need to go. So coping is just having, say, there's a little bit of hope in that, but there's also a little bit of just consistency of action that will get you where you need to be. So it's being persistent and um, being resilient, which are two really important traits in a commercial world. It is more, again, continue. And if you've got evidence that these actions have been successful previously and they will be successful in the future, and also, again, mirroring, if you're working in a team environment, probably having a look and see if those same actions are yielding results for others within the squad is probably a good indication that you, if you need just to keep your head down and be resilient with it. Nice. Thanks, Lou. So, Dai, I'm going to ask you this next question because it's got martial arts in it. It's from Jeff. It says, the ability to reframe a situation in a more positive light is a powerful skill I learned in martial arts and self-defense. Have you ever done the same? Yes. I had many realization. And like I said, one of the first ones was for me that actually in any fight, you're fighting yourself. You're not always going to win a fight, but that doesn't mean you need to stop fight or trying to win it. Right. I think that was a big lesson for me because I'm the type of person that likes to take on a challenge in the right environment. I get very competitive and then I'm faced with my own limitations. Right. And so I think for me, the big realization is you're not going to win any, every fight, but what you're going to win is going back to something that Lou was saying, you know, is that practice and that discipline. Every fight teaches you something. And then whenever you have a defeat, being gracious about it and recognizing your opponent is, you know, maybe just had a better day. Maybe they're not overall. It doesn't say anything about them being better than you overall. But I think it's more about looking at the bigger picture and understanding, you know, as Alex was saying earlier, there's lessons to be learned. Next time I'm going to be better. Next time I'm going to be faster. Next time I'm not going to go in a fight that much. 
tired. And obviously there's different other things that I can do. I think once I switched that and I can add an anecdote into it, I didn't win most fights because I was the most aggressive person there. You know, a lot of the time there was that missing caliber as well. Like, I think I won most fights when I learned to look for the weak points in my opponents. And so in that sense, it's less about being out there and being aggressive. It's more about tuning in and tuning in to how the other person fights um, and finding their weak spots. Feel ready for war now. I mean, Jeffrey said, have the attitude of a warrior. <laughs> She's got it. Um, Diana couldn't be more spot on for what she just said. And you know what? Positive reframing, like reappraisal. There's a few things within this. And, you know, I've gone on my own journey. Like you, Alex, I burned myself out many years ago, just going too hard. All I ever knew was go, 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 go. I'm going to be successful. I want to earn this amount of money, need this car, this house, da, 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 da. And I went for it and I, I battered myself. And one thing I've had to realize again was positive reframing, taking a situation, negative situation and turning that into something positive. As Diana said, you can always gain something from any situation. The next one was really important. Something I've only learned in the last year is actually examining the evidence and also understanding that thought, my thoughts are not actually facts as well. So sometimes you need to just slow down and you go for a tough period. Someone might say something to you. That's another thing we forget. People say things and just doesn't start swearing there. It really annoys you, really upsets you. When in actual fact, hold on, you know, what I'm thinking, how I'm interpreting something, am I actually getting the, the right the right view of this sometimes? And just taking that moment to breathe one, two, three, and then thinking about the reality of a situation, what could be done with the situation, I can turn this into this. Just taking that moment, it just changes everything. So I think that's a really powerful question that was asked and Diana couldn't be more spot on either. Awesome. We've got the questions piling up here now. So I'll take this next one. It says, I work from home and can be available pretty much 24-7. How would you communicate to your boss your boundaries when it comes to contacting about work? Really interesting question, especially being in this remote era that we're in. What I would say is that it's, it's really important to try and create a shared vision of success with your leadership team. The best thing you can do is put yourself in their shoes, right? Think about the worldview from their perspective and think, well, what might be the threat that they see or the things that they are particularly focused on? And then you've, of course, you've got your own set of uh, things and activities and thoughts and plans that are important to you. The more you can bring those two worlds together and get some alignment around what a shared vision of success looks like, the easier it makes those types of conversations because it gives them context. They understand where you're coming from. They know what you're seeking to achieve. And it gives them and instills confidence, whether you're in the office or whether you're at home, because they know, hey, this is the person on my team. This is what they're seeking to achieve. This is how we're well aligned and on the same page. And whether they're home, in the office, on holiday or in between, we've got that kind of shared semblance and shared view around success. So that's what I would just say is some uh, broad advice there. I'm going to move on to the next question which is how do I keep upward reviewing of sales targets or meeting increasing sales targets by the employer as a sales manager leading the team? Mm. Either of you want that? Yeah, no, God. So this, so if I get this right, it's asking a question, probably received higher targets and it's kept on getting pushed to do even more. Is that is that correct? Yeah. 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 I can read it again, but in essence, yeah. it looks like, yeah, basically man managing up when targets keep going up. And this person is a sales manager themselves. Yeah, no, it's fine. Listen, it's a scenario I'm going through myself, you know. You have years and years of successful growth, you know, 
we've had 55, 75% growth. So you can imagine what happens next. The budget then decides that, oh, that's, that should be standard and you have to go again. I think as a sales leader, as a sales manager, so again, effective communication, sales don't just happen, all right? There's a whole range of actions that happen before that. There'll be power plan requirements. There'll be marketing requirements. There will be team size, resource requirements. What's really helped me in these scenarios when unexpected or unrealistic growth numbers have been thrown my direction is having a crystal clear view of my metrics of success, okay? And what I mean by that is I know to a T how many marketing created leads I would need to get to a certain place. I know my conversion metrics like the back of my hand. These things and understanding that as a sales leader are critical because they all leads into revenue. And if an organization is looking for a revenue number, you need to sometimes give them the reality check. Okay, cool. You want me to do this? Then you need to have a look at all of this back here because this is red, amber, green. And if I don't get all of these in green, we're not getting to green over here. And that level of insight, understanding of your numbers and metrics is crucial. If you just see it as a big number, damn team, we have to go again. We have to do 100 more calls a day. That's not going to get you anywhere. And I'll be honest with you, if I was a CEO or a finance or CRO, or whatever I was going to do, I'm not paying attention to someone because I just think they're moaning. But knowing your metrics of success all the way through your key junctions of your sales process, that's the advice I'd give. Know your stuff. I just wanted to add, you know, the, the lead with the data piece is very important. You have to know your business inside out and you have to bake elements of risks in that. So when you walk someone through your calculation in terms of, you know, this is the impact this is going to have on my deal sales cycle. And if that moves, then the certainty around getting this deal in increase, drops by X percentage. That kind of confidence is going to allow you to sort of carefully manage expectations around where you're going and what's realistic versus optimistic. Absolutely. We have four minutes left, so I'm going to switch gears. We have three questions. So I want quick fire responses. <laughs> I want everyone who's in the audience, leave us some feedback as we're going through. How have you found the session Prince, appreciate your call out. This session's been truly insightful. Kelly mentioning that Lou's answer hits hard. So please put some more feedback in the uh, chat there as we cover these last three answers. So the next one is, when you go through an intense session of burnout, have you found it hard to find balance in work going forward? Staying motivated but not burnt out is hard. Diana, quick fire. Yes, and I will say one thing about motivation. If you go for external motivation, that's likely to be temporary. The internal motivation is the stuff that's going to keep you going as a high performer. So find a thing that keeps you the best at what you do, irrespective of the numbers that are associated with it. And that's the engine you have to keep feeding. Love the succinctness there. Lou, I'm coming to you. Advice on balancing high company growth goals with realistic goals a team can hit based on historic performance that won't burn them out? Next to a possible situation at times, okay? So, so again, about effective communication. Historical numbers, we can't live in the past, all right? So sometimes businesses, they are, they're right, they should be ambitious. Everyone's here to make a buck and make some money, okay? So one thing you don't want to do is dampen the spirits of, you know, growth potential of your organization, all right? But what you do need to do is exactly what I mentioned before. You need to come at it from a metrics-driven perspective. You need to show them what has been realistic in the past and what, new actions we're going to do to get that growth that we've not done previously before. By coming at that together as an organization, then you'll be in a really strong place. But if you leave that equation unanswered, you're in big, big trouble. Wonderful. And we have one last question. Many times I face burnout as I work with multiple stakeholders. 
what would you suggest to do in order not to burn out without letting down internal customers? First come, first serve on this one. Find out about communication. One of the things when you're working with different people is not everybody communicates as well in different frequencies, in, in the same channels and in the same frequency. So the first thing is to have a plan for how you're going to communicate with whom and ask people openly, how would you like me to communicate with you? Because that ultimately is going to set your priorities and who you keep happy versus who you keep engaged. I'm going to validate that. I sat with a lady named Ellie Twigger. She was the account manager of the year, actually, at one of her recent awards. And she said exactly the same thing. She said all of her stakeholders, some like an email, some like a text message, some like a WhatsApp message, some like something else. So what Diana said there, co-sign it 1000%. Understand how your stakeholders actually be communicated with, and then you'll be able to add value at any point. Great way to take us home. Diana, Lou, have you enjoyed being on? Um, We love being with you. You know that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, everyone, it's been a great, great pleasure. I've seen some of the comments there. It seemed like this has been really helpful and impactful. So I'm grateful for you taking the time to to tune in late on a uh, Thursday afternoon. So look, Lou, Diana, grateful for you guys being here. Everyone, thank you so much for joining on. And please connect with Lou and Diana on LinkedIn. Share some of your thoughts and your gratitude for their help and if we can any of us can be helpful in any way please just reach out have a wonderful rest of your day thanks thanks thank you thanks for tuning in never miss a tactic or actionable insight by subscribing to on target wherever you get your podcast and if you gain value from the show i would love it if you could share it with a friend and give us a five-star review see you next time